Hurry, hurry, hurry to Monday Matinee on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. How do I? I'll skip ahead a bit. No, I can't skip ahead. All, all right, everybody, into the time machine. Understand how radio works. All I have to do to return this is fade my voice out like this and cue the organist. And you see, here we are. Wait a minute. 63 Audio presents the Old Time Radio Essentials Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Old Time Radio Essentials. If this is your first time joining us, I must inform you that this is episode 14. My name is Pete. This is Dave. And I'm Paul. The purpose of our show is to present specific episodes of our favorite old-time radio series. Episodes that stand out as particularly representative of those series, or as one of those quotable episodes that fans of old-time radio like to discuss, either in person or on social media. We'll open each episode by introducing the selection, describing it briefly, and then we'll play it for you. Then we'll come back at the end and discuss it at length, each of us giving their opinions on its merit, its performances, or anything that stands out for us. And that's exactly what we're presenting to you, just our opinions on whether or not it's worthy of a place in every old-time radio aficionado's personal collection. You don't have to agree with us, and in fact, we may not agree with each other. But we do hope you'll enjoy what we bring to the table and come back for more. Each of us three will take turns selecting a show for discussion. Last month's choice was mine, and that was our pandemic special, The Peoria Plague, just in case you didn't hear it. This month, it's back to Pete for his choice. And what do you have for us, Pete? Well, for this first official episode of Season 2, I'm offering an episode of Suspense, Donovan's Brain, starring Orson Welles. If you recall what I said a couple months ago, it's my plan to start every new season of Old Time Radio Essentials with some type of radio program starring, or guest starring, the great Mr. Wells. Suspense itself was an extremely popular and successful radio series, airing on CBS between 1942 and 1962. A major part of its success was the show's high-quality writing once it got going. Writers such as Lucille Fletcher, John Dixon Carr, and others wrote original stories for the show, with other scripts adapted from popular contemporary short story writers and classic authors as well. Tonight's episode, Donovan's Brain, was written by Kurt Siodmak and was a full-length novel which posed an unusual problem for suspense, which they solved by making it into a two-part episode. Orson Welles made eight appearances on suspense between 1942 and 1945. His final showing was what you'll be hearing in a few moments. And so, without further delay, we present Donovan's Brain, edited slightly for the convenience of our listeners, for May 18th and 25th, 1945, in that outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. And now, friends, adjust your radio dials to the proper frequency. Get comfortable and listen. Roma Wines present Suspense. Roma Wines, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. Salud, your health, senor. Roma Wines toast the world. 
The wine for your table is Roma wine, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is the Man in Black, here to introduce this weekly half hour of Suspense. Tonight from Hollywood, we bring you a star, Mr. Orson Welles. This will be the first of two consecutive performances by Mr. Welles, in which he will appear as the protagonist of Kurt Siodmak's novel, Donovan's Brain. The producer of Suspense and its sponsors, the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California, feel that this story is so unusual that it merits more than our usual time. So in somewhat of a departure from established radio formulas, we will bring you the story of Donovan's Brain in two parts. Part one you will hear tonight, and part two next Monday night at this same time. And now with part one of Donovan's Brain, and with the performance of Orson Welles as Dr. Patrick Corey, we again hope to keep you in suspense. As I sit now outside my laboratory door writing under the heading Experiment 87, this final entry in my casebook, I know that these are the last words I shall ever write upon this earth. I neither ask nor expect forgiveness now or hereafter. But for those who seek some explanation, I refer them simply to this casebook. Let them read it carefully from its first entry on that ill-starred day of July the 13th. July 13th. Today I bought a small capuchin monkey from an organ grinder. The animal trembled with fear when I took it into my laboratory and when I tried to pet it, it bit me. But I had to make it trust me completely. Fear causes an excess secretion of adrenaline resulting in an abnormal condition of the bloodstream which would throw off my observations. So I fed it and finally the creature voluntarily crept up into my arms uttering little whimpers of content. When it laid its head against my shoulder, I stabbed it with a surgical lancet. It died instantly. Well, David, what do you think of it? Well, it, it's pretty amazing, all right. See what I've done, don't you? I, I think so. You think so? Good Lord, don't you know? Well, after all that, I'm only a second-year medical I student. I know, but what if I was a second-year student? Who is it? It's me, Janet. Come in, darling. Patrick, Dr. Schrott is here to see you. Oh, come on in, doctor. You know our son, David, of course. Yes, of course. How are you, my boy? Fine, thanks, doctor. Well, Patrick, hard at it as usual, uh -huh. I see. Patrick, you didn't eat the lunch I sent in to you. Well, what is it this time, Patrick? A brain. What? A brain, a brain, a monkey's brain. Oh. What about the brain, Patrick? I've been trying to see how long I can keep the tissue alive. Well, is that it in that jar? Oh, there's considerably more to it than just a jar, though. Want to see how it works? Is it still alive? In a way, yes. It's a fairly simple device, actually, Doctor. Variation on Corell's mechanical heart. The brain lies in a bath of blood serum. These... Rubber arteries are fixed to the vertebral and internal carotid arteries of the brain. The blood substance is forced through the cycle of Willis to feed the tissue. Over here, I've installed a small rotary pump that forces the blood circulation, you see? But how do you know it's alive? It's very easy to determine. The brain, when functioning, gives off infinitesimal electrical impulses. They can be measured. As a matter of fact, I've hooked the encephalograph up to a small amplifying system. The brain impulses can actually be heard. Here, I'll turn it on. You see? Quite effective, isn't it? Yes, it's effective. And it's... it's wrong, Patrick. 
terribly wrong. Oh, I've tried wrong. to tell him, Dr. Schrott. In if heaven's only... name, what's wrong with this? Oh, Patrick, you and your mechanistic philosophy, trying to reduce life to a mere matter of chemicals and test tubes. The origin of life is from a higher domain than that, Patrick. And you're profaning. Nonsense. You can't stop the progress of science. Every discovery of whatever kind is a step forward. If I can prove that the brain can perform certain functions outside the body, who knows where we may be able to go from there? Oh, Patrick, how, how do you know that thing in there doesn't feel pain? How do you know it isn't writhing in agony? Brain tissue itself is insensitive, you know that? Just a feeling look. I'll switch on the encephalograph. See? There. Notice the faintness of the amplified alpha rays. Notice the comparatively slow rate of pulsation now. Notice what happens when I tap on the glass jar. See? Huh. It feels. It thinks. I wouldn't go so far as to say that, but it certainly shows marked reaction to an external stimulus. I wouldn't have believed it possible. <laughs> the trouble with you, Schrott, is that you don't really believe in science. Uh, have it your own way, Patrick. That's when you can manufacture love and sympathy and kindness in a test tube. I'll be back. You leaving, old boy? Yes. Patrick. Hmm? Do me a favor, Patrick. Shut off the pump and let that poor thing in there die. Let it die? Huh. If it were within my power to grant that little brain would live forever. July 18th. I'm utterly exhausted from lack of sleep at the events of the past five days have been of such tremendous importance that I must set them down while every last detail is still fresh in my mind. I've had no time to make an entry in this record since that day last week. It seems a month ago now and I had my first partial success with the brain of the Capuchin monkey. At that time, however, it seemed that I was doomed to disappointment. In spite of all my efforts, the brain of the monkey ceased to live at 12.14 that night. Tired and disheartened, I lay down to sleep on the cot in my laboratory, but at that very moment, fate was contriving an occurrence which now seems destined to have the most profound effect not only upon my own existence, but perhaps upon that of all mankind. <laughs> Dad. Oh, David. Come in, come in. What's the matter? It's Dr. Schrott. There's been an accident or something. Oh. He's pretty upset. All right, I'll come. Oh, Patrick. Oh, Patrick, Schrott. thank heavens, my boy. What's the matter, I, boy? There's, there's been a plane crash on the mountain. Only one of them was left alive, and I've, I've brought him this far, but he, he needs an immediate operation. Oh, sorry, that's your job, your county physician. <clears throat> Patrick, it's, it's multiple fractures of both legs. Oh, the oh, arteries oh. are severed, the legs will have to be amputated. Huh? You're not in any shape to do the job. Well, I... Well, that's not my fault. Take him to the Phoenix Hospital. I'm not going to take responsibility. Oh, it's too far. Really we we never it. get there in time. And Patrick, please, it, it may mean a man for life and... And, and I... your job as county physician. No, no, I'm not thinking oh, of right. that. But it's it's an important man. William H. Donovan. Donovan? Don... The Wall Street Donovan? Yes. You've got to help me, Patrick. Donovan. Hmm. What his chances? About even, if we hurry. Well, bring him in. Oh, thank you, Patrick. Thank you. You'd better get some things on, David. You may have to help. Yes, uh, and you will use the laboratory table. Before you go, put the instruments to sterilize it. And don't forget the Geely saw. Right. Oh, but... But, uh, but what? I thought the Geely saw was only used for... For, for brain surgery. Hmm. 
Not always. Hurry. They'll bring him in now from the car. Okay, Dad. In here. Careful now. That's right. Easy, does. Around the Doctor. table, please. Yes, Doctor. Easy. Easy. You better get yourself a gown and gloves, Doctor. Right over there. You won't have time to scrub. Yes, thanks, mm-hmm. Doctor. Bad, isn't he? Pulse rapid. Heart very faint. I wasn't sure. Uh, David, uh, yes, half cc of adrenaline, David, one to 1,000 intravenous. Right. You men can go now. Is there anything else we no, can do? No, thank you. Patrick, don't you I'd think... I'd rather we were alone, if you don't mind, gentlemen. Yes. Good night, then, Dr. Schreier. Doctor. Good night. Good night. Now, David, David, if you remove the blanket from his legs, that's it. Right. You see, fortunately, a forest ranger got to him right after the crash. Had sense enough to put a tourniquet on each leg. Even so, yeah. <sighs> Sure, sure, sure. Sure, sure, sure. We'll get it. Sure, sure, sure. What's he saying? Uh, something like, sure, sure, sure. He said it over and over. Huh. I hadn't realized he was deformed. It doesn't show as much in his pictures. Patrick, don't you think we ought to begin? Oh, there's no use amputating those legs. No use? He'd be dead anyway by morning. Well, won't it? Well... Suppose you're right, Patrick. You know I'm right. But still, we ought to try. We can't refuse to operate just We are because... going to operate. Syringe, please, David, the large one. Here you are, Dad. Spinal anesthetic. Will you give it, Dr. Schrock? Right. Scalpel, please, David. Scalpel and the Geely saw. Geely saw? Patrick. Well... No, 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 Patrick. I won't let you. After your performance tonight? Well, I... But, Patrick, he's still alive. Precisely. My mistake with the monkey was that he was dead. I don't intend to make that mistake again. Come on, David, Patrick, the scalpel. Patrick, are you out of your mind? You're, you're, you're taking a man's life. I'm giving him life. Donovan would die anyway. But for a while, at least, Donovan's brain will live. <laughs> Better hurry, they'll be coming for the body pretty soon. Yeah, you can go now, David. I David, think I will, uh, then. You understand, of course. Yes, I understand. Not a word, not a word to your mother or to anyone. I understand. Yeah, did you put something in the skull cavity oh, so yeah. the eyes won't fall? I filled it with cotton, bandaged the whole cranium. It looked like any head injury. I hope nobody gets any ideas about an autopsy. You're the coroner. You can stop there. Look, Schwartz. This is a chance that comes once in a lifetime. William Donovan had one of the greatest minds, has one of the greatest brains in the world today. And now you have it. Uh, it's Turn madness, on the encephalograph. Uh, simple, simple alpha, alpha waves, of course. No different from the monkeys. You can't take a human brain out of its body and expect it to function. I suppose not, but... Trot! Did it ever occur to you that the brain might simply be asleep? Asleep? Certainly. An operation like that is a severe shock. Tap on the glass. Good Lord, Patrick. Delta waves. It was asleep you woke it up. It's actually conscious. You see, you see, the three of us, three of us conducting this experiment now. You, and me, and William Horace Donovan. July 25th, I moved my bed into the laboratory, but I've scarcely slept in six days. 
be no longer any doubt that the brain responds like a sensitive seismograph to vibrations near it, including the sound of my voice. Yet I've found no method of communication with it. I've devised a simplified Morse code consisting of taps on the glass container, together with voice vibrations. Perhaps, perhaps I can teach the brain. July 30th, Schrott has come to stay with me, half out of a feeling that he shares with me a common guilt, half out of scientific curiosity. I've scarcely seen him, and both David and Janice have been avoiding me, not that I really care. They've been tapping out my code on the side of the brain's container endlessly, day and night, over and over, a thousand times, so that a baby could learn it, if the brain can learn. I sleep only when the brain itself falls into exhausted slumber. When it wakes again, I resume my tapping. Yes, old boy, I want to show you something. Patrick, you look like a ghost. Where are we going? Back to the laboratory. I can't believe it myself. I, I may have been dreaming delirium. What's happened? Come on. You hear that? Delta waves. Seems disturbed. You've got to check my observations for me. If my reasoning is wrong, tell me. I can't be sure of anything anymore. Yes. Now listen carefully. You know that I've been trying to communicate with the brain in code now. If I were able to cause a distinctive pattern of the brain's delta waves by a specific command in code, if the brain responded with the same pattern of sound each time I issued the command, it would prove that I'd succeeded in communicating with the brain, wouldn't it? Yes, Patrick, I think it would. Now, listen. Donovan! Donovan! If you understand, think three times of the word talk. Three times. Talk. 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 It answered. It spoke. Then I'm right. It's true. This thing has learned to talk. To talk. July 31st, Schrott is romanticizing, of course, the Delta pattern is so infinitely complex that it'd be utterly impossible ever to break it down into specific words, yet that it understands me, that it's trying to communicate with me is certain. Schrott suggests mental telepathy, that I try to make my mind a blank, as the mediums call it, while at the same time increasing the energy content in the plasma that feeds the brain in the hope of stepping up the brain's electrical potential as one would step up the power of a radio station. Naturally, telepathy is nonsense, but the feeding theory intrigues me. I shall try it. August 12th. Notice today for the first time two distinct nodules of new brain cells on the frontal lobex. Electrical potential has increased to 510 microvolts. I, I, I've become smoking cigars. I, Although I've always hated cigars before. Nerves, I expect. Ooh, ooh, ooh. 
August 22nd, nodules still growing, electrical potential 1450, but no observable results. Lately felt a compelling urge to know more of Donovan's life and have collected every available scrap of information about him. A strange man he was. Strange, ruthless, actually evil in many ways, but nonetheless an extraordinarily brilliant mind. <laughs> to wake you up, Patrick. You were moaning in your sleep, talking. Uh, Talking? What did I say? I'm not sure, but your voice was so strange that... Janice, Janice, what's the matter? There's nothing, nothing. I was dreaming, that's all. Janice woke me up. Patrick, let me see your hand. Hand? No, the other one. What about it? You're not left-handed, are you? No. Then why have you got ink on the fingers of your left hand? Well, I don't know. Were you writing anything tonight? You must have been, Patrick. Here it is, right here on your desk. Nonsense. Wait, let me see it. You've been writing his name, William H. Donovan. William H. Donovan Schrott, that's not my handwriting. It's... What? Don't you see what it means? The brain has communicated with me. Patrick, you don't... Look here. Look at this magazine article. Here's a reproduction of his signature... And he was left-handed, too. It says so here. Why, it is. It, it oh, is exactly the what same. What a fool I've been. Look at this picture smoking a cigar with his left hand. I wondered why it suddenly started smoking cigars. The same brand, too. Janice, try to remember what you heard me saying just before you woke me up. Come on, Janice. Think. Patrick, I, I can't believe... Think, Janice. All I heard was something like, sure, sure, sure. Sure, sure, sure. Of course. Don't you remember, Schrott? He said it that night. It was the only thing we ever heard him say. It, it, it was an expression of his. It... Tell us about that in one of the articles, too. Yes, it, there it is. It right wasn't there. your voice. It wasn't my voice. You see, the brain has grown. And it's strong enough to influence not only the higher functions, the frontal lobe, but the speech centers, the motor centers of another brain. Patrick, if this is true, then your experiment has been successful. It's ended. Ended? Oh, it's only begun. Patrick. Don't you see what this means? Patrick, listen to me. Oh, what, Janice? What? You've got to stop. Stop? I can't stand it any longer. Can't you see where it's led you? When you cut yourself off from your family, when you neglected your health, began having fits of temper and were like... like someone I hardly recognize as the man I married. All that I tried to understand. But don't you see what you've done? You are a murderer, Patrick, a murderer! Janice, darling! David told me the whole thing. That poor boy's half insane himself from worry. Insane? What do you mean by that? What I say... You killed Donovan. Maybe he wouldn't have lived anyway. But you killed him. And now this, this thing has gained such power over your mind that it can make you do things you don't even know about. For all you know, it could make you do anything. Anything. You've got to choose, Patrick. Oh, Janice, please. 
I suppose you're right, but I'm utterly exhausted. I can't even think anymore. You've got to think. Give me until tomorrow. Let me sleep, and then tomorrow I'll do something. I promise you. All right, Patrick. Tomorrow. But if you don't do something, if you don't destroy that this... thing, I will. The brain. It's almost as though it heard you and were raging. Raging at you. <laughs> This way, please, Dr. Come Corey. Come on, darling. But, Patrick, hmm? why are we going in here? A psychiatric clinic? I told you I'd do something, Janice. I've, I've got an idea. You I... mean you're, you're having yourself psychoanalyzed? Well... Something like that? Something like that. I'll, I'll tell you about it later. First, I want, I want you to talk to this man alone. Dr. Zanger, this is Dr. Corey. Oh. How do you do, Dr. Corey? How do you heard do, something Dr. of your work. Oh, yes. And this is Mrs. Corey. Of course, excuse me. I'm happy to meet you, Mrs. Corey. Thank you, Doctor. Uh, won't you come in tomorrow? Uh, I, I will certainly. Janice, would you mind, darling, waiting in the reception room? I'll be out in just a moment. Thank you. Why, certainly, dear. In here, please, Doctor. Very well. Well, Doctor, she seems quite normal. I'd expected from what you told me on the telephone. That... I... I know, I... No, I, I... I can assure you, I, I... I hate to tell you this, but... Uh, doctor, she's quite insane. I see. Yes. Uh, uh, paranoia. She, she's always been, you know, jealous of my work. And, well... Last little while, she started. She's got a, a delusion that she thinks I've made some kind of a monster in, up in, in my laboratory that controls my mind and, and controls my actions. Huh. So I, I'm, I'm putting her completely in your hands. Oh, well, it's... It's, of course, a little unusual, but since you are yourself a medical man... That's right. Uh, you definitely wish to commit her, then, huh? Yes. Yes. You have the papers. Oh, yeah. Here you are. Uh, just your signature will be enough, though. Uh, there you are. Uh, you, you let me know about everything, won't you? Oh, naturally, Doctor. We keep yeah. you informed. Thank you. Well, goodbye then, Dr. Corey. We, we'll do what we can. Oh, right. Uh, Patrick? Uh, Mrs. Corey is staying with us, Miss Wilcox. Yes, Dr. Zanger. Patrick? Come back! Patrick! Oh, it's all right, Mrs. Corey. Just come with me, please. Patrick! No. Where are you going? Let me go! Yes? Oh, about the bill, how do you wish it to be handled? Uh, the bill? The... The bill? <sighs> sure, sure, sure. I, I'll take care of it by the week. The checks will be signed to William H. Donovan. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs>
August 20th. It's nearly three weeks now since Janice went away. I can't understand how she could have left me just when I needed her most. When I try to question Shrad or David about it, they only look at me strangely and change the subject. Clearly, they too now are in on the conspiracy. Sometimes it seems the only person I can trust is Donovan. The brain communicates with me more freely now each day. I know it has some great plan in mind for me, for both of us. I'm waiting, patiently waiting. Donovan! Donovan, I I'm listening, Donovan. Don't be angry, Donovan. I'm trying to understand. I I'm listening, Donovan. I'm listening. I I I'm li <laughs> Sure. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> And so closes Donovan's Brain, part one, the first of two half-hour presentations of Kurtzjord Mack's story, presenting Orson Welles as star of Suspense. Suspense is produced and directed by William Spear. And now with part two of Donovan's Brain, and with the performance of Orson Welles as Dr. Patrick Corey, we again hope to keep you in Suspense. As I sit now outside my laboratory door, writing under the heading Experiment 87, this final entry in my casebook, I know that these are the last words I shall ever write upon this earth. For those who seek some explanation, I refer them simply to this casebook. Let them read it carefully. Perhaps they may then in some measure understand, if not condone, the awful circumstances under which I have been driven to the most appalling crime against God and nature that it has ever been the fate of mortal man to perpetrate. August 24th. It's now six weeks, exactly 42 days, since I began the experiment. For six weeks, by artificial means alone, I've kept alive a human brain, completely detached from the body, floating in a bath of serum nourished by a synthetic blood plasma fed through its arteries by an electric pump, it has remained alive. Not only alive, but I have succeeded in communicating with it. For I have even induced new growth of brain cells and so tremendously increased its mental faculties that by sheer brain power alone, it has actually been able to communicate its thoughts to me. And each day, my communion with that living, pulsing mass of gray matter that was the brain of William Donovan becomes stronger and stronger. Even now I sense it's striving to reveal some plan to me, something so truly world-shaking in its implications, that only such an organism, developed to a point thousands of years ahead of its time, could ever have conceived it. So far I sense this only, but soon I shall know, indeed I shall be partner in its execution. What a fool I was ever to have considered for a moment my wife's demand that I end the experiment. It's because I refused, of course, that Janice left me a week ago without so much as a word of explanation or farewell. Even my son David and my assistant Shrat are privy to this conspiracy to thwart me, for when I ask about Janice, they pretend to know nothing of 
You seek to avoid my questions. But the brain will live. Yes, I can hear it now. Its delta waves quite audible over the amplifying system I've arranged for it. Almost as though it were calling to me, trying to speak to me. The brain will live. Donovan? What is it? What are you trying to tell me? Go on, Donovan. I'm listening. Go on. Go on. Go. Who is it? What do you want? I have no time to talk. I'm busy. I'm sorry. Go away, I tell you. I'm busy. Can't you two leave me alone? All right, all right. What is it? What is it? Patrick, won't you come into the study with us for a few minutes? Whatever you've got to say, you can say right here. You know I can't leave the laboratory. Dad, it's only that well, we wanted to talk to you in, in private. Well, don't tell me that you're afraid of this poor mass of brain cells here. It's not that, Dad, but we... Well, never mind, David. <laughs> At least turn that thing off then, will you, Patrick? <laughs> what difference would it make? Could still hear, couldn't it? Well, what is it then? Well, it's it's about mother. So she put you up to this, did she? I thought the truth would come out sometime. Dad, listen. She's we... trying to stop this experiment from the beginning. She thought she could blackmail me into quitting by leaving me, and she still does. And now Patrick. she's using you as a go-between. Now, Patrick, true, listen it? a minute, I've won't you? Enough. We haven't heard a word from Janice. We don't even know where she is. That's what we've come to talk to you about. Oh, have you? How could I know where she is? Well, because you were the last person seen with her, Dad. I was. Don't you remember, Patrick? You took her into town with you. You you wouldn't tell any of us why. Yes, of course, the more I've forgotten, but what of it? Well, don't you remember what happened then? Of course I remember. She left me, that's all. Where, Dad? Where did she leave you? What were you doing? I don't know. We were in some big public building, city hall, courthouse, taxes or something. Next thing I knew, she'd simply disappeared. I... Is that all? Didn't yes. she say anything? Didn't she at least tell you why she was going? No, no, I remember what she said. It's been a week or more. I've hardly slept. You know, I've been working night and day. Yes, that's just it. Patrick. What do you mean by that? Patrick, you say this. The, the brain communicates well, with you. Tells yes. you things about his past life. Suggests thoughts. Yes, Well, yes. if the brain can make you think of things, mightn't it also be able to make you forget things? You're out of your mind. Dad, are you sure... Are you sure you don't know what's happened to Mother? No, I tell you, no, I but don't Patrick, know. Patrick, don't you see what you might have done? What? Heaven's name, stop now while there's still time. Get out of here. While there's still time to help Janice, if there is. While there's still time to help yourself. Shut off the current. Get Let the brain out. die. Kill it, Patrick. Kill it. Get out, both of you. Get out. Get out. August 26th, the brain continues to communicate thought fragments more and more easily, but nothing further on what I've come to think of as the plan. I'm now sleeping a great deal, but my dreams are becoming increasingly troublesome, although I'm at a loss to analyze them. Most frequent is a sort of vast cosmic ballet presided over by the colossal figure of a young man whom I seem to recognize, yet I never, never see his face. It's as though the entire population of the Earth were moving past him in review at his command. 
Shroud, he's fainted. No, no, David, don't let him. It's yeah. all right now. Here's a glass of water. What's the matter? You're trembling all over. You looking I at can't. me that way for you? You look, look uh, frightened after death. Dad, you... What happened here? Anyway, I came and found you on the floor with your hands around your own throat. Can't win for me. Why's your luggage all packed? I was going to leave. Leave? In the middle of the night? Why? Because The fuse I... box has been opened. It was you, Shroud. You were going to shut off the current. You are going to kill the brain. Patrick, you tried to strangle me. What? It's true, Dad. That's why I had to slap you. But that's absurd. I came in here and found Shrott with his hands around his own throat. He was strangling himself. Dad, please, think a minute. Nobody can strangle himself. Look at these marks on my throat. No. Do you think I could have done that? It's not possible, and yet... It's true, Patrick, that I tried to shut off the current. I was afraid for you. But as I opened the fuse box, I heard the delta waves in the laboratory suddenly become stronger and louder than they'd ever been before. And then... Then... Then I... Yes. Then the brain knew? Yeah, you even spoke in Donovan's voice, Donovan's Patrick. voice, his That voice. recurring phrase of his, sure, 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 in his very tones, sure, his very sure, accent. Sure, You've created a monster, well, Patrick. It has the power to make me commit murder. The brain... The brain must die. Pull the switch in the fuse box, Patrick. It will only be a matter of seconds, yes. and then... Yes, I... I... But I... But I... You've got to, Patrick. Shrot, David, help me. I can't move. Come yes, in. You... Pull the switch, honey. Shrot, David, go on. You? You too? It's paralyzed, dispatch. Huh? The brain won't let itself be killed. Then... Then it has the power to live on. And on. To command us as long as we live. To make us do anything it wants. To kill. Murder. Dad, what are we going to do? Listen. Uh, it's brain. It's... It's... Laughing. Laughing. September 7th, Schrott has left. He had to, of course, for his own protection, if nothing else. Before he left, he swore to eternal secrecy and was going to try to find Janice. The very thought that any harm might come to her through me is enough to drive me almost mad. As for David, although he's strong enough to prevent any untoward accidents, I don't know, he's, he's volunteered to stay with me. I, he'll sleep at night behind locked doors. We must devote every faculty we possess together and independently to finding a way of destroying the brain. Perhaps while it sleeps, it seems to have developed tremendous powers in the subconscious which operate even in sleep. The recurring dream, the now oppressive sense of some further task to be performed continues. If Janice were only here, even her presence, I know, would help immeasurably to combat this fearful thing. Terrible thought crosses my mind. Could Trot have left if the brain had not, for some reasons of its own, actually wanted him to leave? <laughs> 
September 10th. My thoughts are less and less my own. The dream of the young giant bestriding the earth, the figure without a face, pursues me now, even in my waking hours. Increasingly, I seem to live in a world of evil fantasy, peopled and controlled by the mind of William Donovan. It's not much time, but time enough. Time enough. Sure, sure, sure. Time enough. Sure, sure. Uh, hello? Who is it? Patrick. Oh, Janice. Janice, my darling. Janice. Hello, Patrick. My sweetheart. How are you, Patrick? Oh, I'm well enough. I'm well enough. But, Dennis, where have you been? Janice, why did you leave me that day? Why didn't you at least tell me? Where did you go down here? I was with friends. Well, did Trot tell you anything? No, nothing special. Well, Janice, I know I haven't been a very good husband these last months. I haven't been very kind or very considerate or even civilized. I, I haven't been myself, Janice. I know, Patrick. My poor darling. If you'd only known how I missed you after you left, how I needed you. I need your help, Jim. I Terrible. know, Patrick. Terrible. I, I came back to help you. But... But what? Where's David? He's asleep in the next room. That is, lately he's tried to make it a point to sleep only when I didn't. I'm trying to keep an eye on things. Patrick, I'm going to help you. All I can. Any way I can. But first, huh? I want to take David away. David? Why? Because... I don't think it's good for him to be here. No? I don't think that you... Patrick, I don't want to torment you. It's only that perhaps we can find a way if we know all the facts. What, Janice? I... Don't you know, really, where I was? No, how could I? Don't you remember where you took me? Where I took you? I don't... You took me to a psychiatric, psychiatric clinic. clinic. You had me committed to a madhouse. Oh, Janice. No, that, not you, Donovan. Donovan. It was because I tried to make you stop the experiment. Yes. Kill the brain. As you left me there, you even spoke in Donovan's voice. Sure, 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 you said. Sure, sure. I thought they were the last words I would... Ever hear you speak? Oh, Janice, forgive me. Forgive me, man. I couldn't persuade anyone. I was sane. Oh, sweet. After what you told them, everything I said only made them think I was mad. I'm not mad. Am I, Patrick? I'm not mad. Am I? Am I? <laughs> Janice will be gone for some three hours. I've sent her into town for Dr. Zanger, the psychiatrist. Maybe he can help, but now suddenly I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm overcome with the thought of the humiliation I shall have to suffer when other, other medical men become aware of the position I'm in. It'll be the end of my career and my reputation, all my hopes. 
folly to think that Zhang would keep it to himself. Indeed, I, he'd have no right to. I, I, I can bet it if I must, but another way, a possibility occurs to me, and I've, I've been thinking it over. There's no harm in trying it in any event. I, I must try. I, I have three hours. <laughs> David, David. Yes, sir. Da David, what's your blood type? Do you know your blood type? Matter of fact, I well, I don't think I do. Why? Uh, no matter. We can easily find out. David, I I think at last I know a way to kill the brain. It's simple. It's perfectly natural. Yet nine chances out of ten is something Donovan has never known about. I I'll do it myself. Unfortunately, my blood type and his are. Uh, they're the same. Transfusion? Uh, of course, I have to replenish the blood substance periodically. Anyway, it's about time to do it again. I, I've always used my own because it was the same type as his, but if, if yours is a different type, the right type, David. You mean the wrong type? You, you, yes, you've given the wrong... The brain the, the brain will die given the wrong type. Yeah. That I, I, possible. I, I, I'm sure of that. I know it. But uh, suppose the brain yes. knows it knows other things. I, I, I've thought of that. It's a chance we'll have to take if you're willing, David, my boy. Of course I am. Then Dad. we'll take the blood sample now. Come into the laboratory. I only have the right blood type. Sure. Rather the wrong type. Now, if you haven't, we'll find someone who has. Maybe, maybe Schrott. Now, lie down there on the table, David. We, we want a tourniquet on your arm here. I'll a put small syringe will do it. Go ahead. I'm ready. David, don't watch me. It'll be easier if you, easier if you don't. For me. That's a funny one, coming from you. Well, the doctors are never quite as steady with members of their own family, you know. Ready? Sure. Ready? <clears throat> Here we are. You, you all right? Yeah, yeah. You'll be through in just a second. You getting it all yes, right? Yes, sure, sure. Just yes. a second now. Dad, I, I'm sleepy. You'll be over it in a minute. But what's the matter? Why am, why am I so sleepy? You'll be all right. Sleepy. So sleepy. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Sure, sure, sure. That's what an anesthetic is for. Make you sleep. <laughs> I was somewhat surprised to find the instrument sterilized, already laid out, but I worked more rapidly and skillfully than ever before in my life, I think. I made an incision just below the hairline, laying back the scalp as far as the base of the skull. I trepanned the cranium at two centimeter intervals, working back and downwards to the upper edge of the occipital bone. With the Geely saw, I cut through the connecting bone structure and removed the entire top of the cranium, placing it in saline solution to preserve it. I made a semicircular incision in the dura mater, laying it to one side, exposing the brain. As I dissected out the facial auditory and pneumogastric nerves to free the medulla amrigata, I... I I became conscious of an insistent clamoring, something like a mounting hysteria in the distant reaches of my mind. Almost as strong as the irresistible compulsion that drove me on. But my hand did not falter. With a sure stroke, I severed the spinal cord just below the first cervical nerve. 
As I make this last entry with that awful guilt upon my soul, even now I cannot fully comprehend how it has been possible for any man by mortal or immortal means to be driven to such a crime. Even the divinity himself did not demand of Abraham that final sacrifice of expiation. When he with his only begotten son ascended the Mount of Olives, Perhaps Schrott is right. Perhaps there is indeed in man some spark of the divine that will elude our test tubes and our laboratories until the end of time. Perhaps that is the one thing that even Donovan did not foresee. I only know that at the instant my son died under my own hand, I was set free. At that instant, I saw and understood for the first time that monstrous plan born in the brain of William Donovan, of which I was to be the instrument. It was the plan I had glimpsed but never grasped in the recurring dream. Donovan did aspire to the domination of the world. And with those tremendous mental faculties that I myself had given him, it was literally within his power to become the absolute ruler of all mankind. Only one thing was lacking, a body, a body, a young, strong body into which those ever-growing brain cells could graft and affix themselves to live on and on, perhaps for centuries. He chose the body of my son, and now, my son, at last too late, I am free to destroy this foul thing of my creation. I know it as surely as I know that my own life must be forfeit. And the brain also knows. I can hear the disturbed, erratic oscillations of the delta waves coming through the laboratory door. But there's no room left in me now for fear. I shall take the six steps from the desk where I'm writing this across to the laboratory door. How often I've taken them in happier times. I shall open the door, close it behind me for the last time, and write Finis to the mortal life of Patrick Arthur Corey and the brain of William Horace Donovan. May others learn from the record I leave here the lessons I have learned so bitterly and profit by them. And for the things that I have done, may God have mercy on my soul. Phoenix, Arizona, September the 15th. The bodies of Dr. Patrick Arthur Corey and his son David were found in Dr. Corey's own laboratory early today. 
Young Corey had apparently died on the operating table as a result of a delicate brain operation performed by his father. In the case of Dr. Corey, medical authorities gave us their opinion that he might have died of shock as a result of the unsuccessful operation on his son. A curious feature of the case was the fact that numerous pieces of tissue identified as being from a human brain were found scattered about the laboratory floor, while a larger section of brain was found in the midst of an elaborate apparatus, evidently part of a scientific experiment. Medical authorities stated, however, that they were unable to explain the nature of the apparatus and that the brain itself was in such a state of decomposition as to indicate that it had been dead and slowly decaying for at least three months. Dr. Corey is survived by his wife, Janice. She was committed to the county asylum for the insane late this afternoon. Burial of Dr. Corey will be at the Mount of Olives Cemetery. And so closes Donovan's Brain, part two. The completion of two half-hour presentations of Kutz Yodmak's story presenting Orson Welles as star of Suspense. Suspense is produced and directed by William Spear. This is Orson Welles. Next week, Mr. William Spear tells me, and he'd like me to pass the information on to you, that Suspense will bring two exceptionally fine artists, Miss Ida Lupino and Mr. Vincent Price, in a play by one of radio's outstanding authors, Lucille Fletcher. I want to hear that, and I know you will, too. Don't forget, then, next Thursday you will hear Ida Lupino and Vincent Price in... Suspense! Presented by Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That was Donovan's Brain, an episode of Suspense, originally broadcast in two parts on May 18th and 25th, 1945, on CBS. Pete, this was your selection for this installment. What made you choose it? Sure, sure, sure. (laughs) (laughs) So I chose this for a couple of reasons. One, Orson Welles. Here it is, 1945. Orson is maybe 30 years old and has already uh, generated a huge reputation in radio and films and on the stage. And really, it it makes me so sad to think he never went back to Broadway after he kind of got washed up in films. If he had only done that instead of constantly trying to recreate Citizen Kane, uh, but that's another story for someone else's podcast. (laughs) Secondly, we've got a hugely popular radio show, Suspense, which we haven't featured yet on the podcast. So high time, right? And it's the beginning of a new season. So that means Orson. Um, Well, how did it land for you guys? What did you think of it? It's hard for me to not feel really nostalgic about this episode because as a young boy, I used to listen to radio shows on cassettes and records that I got from the public library. And this was one of my first um, experiences listening to anything that, that Orson Welles had done on the radio other than The Shadow. And so hearing this on cassette back when I was, I think, nine or 10 or 11, yeah, it just blew me away. And so it's hard, it's hard for me to listen to it as an adult and not just recall the fondness um, I had for it as a kid. And I, I do go back and listen to this one every couple of years because I love it so much. And I think for all the uh, for all the criticisms that Orson Welles gets as being kind of an over the top and kind of a pompous figure, <laughs> shall we say, I don't share those views. I think he's he was a great uh, radio actor and a great film actor and a great filmmaker. 
And I think going back and listening to something like this that he did, I think you said he was 30 when he. I believe so. I think uh, he was born in 1915. So here, this okay. show is 1945. So he was 30 or close to it. Okay. Yeah, that just uh, that just makes me appreciate it all the more because it seems like such a youthful age to, to um, perform a role so well and so confidently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, true. And well, he was 23 when he played Professor Richard Pearson in War of the Worlds. So, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and he doesn't sound 23. When I was 23, no. my voice was still a little like this. Yeah. So <laughs> now that I'm in my 50s, my voice is, I think, deep enough to match Orson's. So yeah, uh, he was, he had some gifts, some definite gifts. I agree. Do you still have your cassettes from those days? I, when I was 18 or 19, I actually, there's a place in St. Louis called the, am I allowed to mention places by name or is that? I don't see why not. Oh, okay. There's a place in in South St. Louis that I used to go to pretty much every week during my teenage years. And uh, as I got older, I got more into music. And at some point I, I traded in all my old, you know, radio spirits and uh, adventures and cassettes, you know, collections and got store credit for, for other things that I was, you know, more into at the time. And um, so no, I, I have some records that I've hung on to through the years, but I don't have any of the, the cassettes from those okay. years. I do. Ha- I do have Donovan's brain on vinyl though. Oh, cool. I, Very I bring cool. Out and listen to every so often. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I still have a lot of cassettes from the eighties. And the first time I heard uh, Donovan's brain was, was in the eighties. Um, I was talking about this before we started recording, but I'll, I'll say it for the benefit of the listeners. I grew up in central Illinois and I went home on leave when I was in the Navy and my cousin was married to this guy who would dub old time radio shows from the radio. A local radio station, uh, played, uh, something I think every Saturday night, like it was a show called, do you remember these on WCBU, which was the public radio station out of Bradley university in Peoria. And so I borrowed all of his, all of the tapes that he had, and he had wonderful shows that I'd never heard of, uh, the Hall of Fantasy. He had a lot of shadow episodes that I'd never heard before with Orson Welles and with, with Brett, uh, Morrison and, and, um, the other, the other actors, lots of suspense. And so I dubbed all of those. From what he what he had dubbed from the radio, I copied onto cassettes and then <laughs> listened to them uh, myself for many years. So, and I enjoyed yeah. Donovan's Brain the first time I heard it. Um, just the fact that it was a two parter was unusual for its day, but they had to do it a special way to get the you know the the bulk of the story. Paul, you've been kind of quiet. What do you got to say? It was it was good. I mean. Sometimes I thought it was a little heavy-handed, but, you know, old-time radio back then was never really uh, known for subtlety. Well, they so, couldn't be, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it had to be and, in your uh, face. It's the one thing you you forget when you watch regular television nowadays or movies nowadays is that machine gun banter almost. You know, because you listen to these guys, the way they're talking about their lines, and their lines are coming out like this, and the one is right on top of the other, and it's just like ding, 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 ding. And it's like, wow, if you slow that down to the way people normally talk, this would probably be about a two-hour show, you know, (laughs) because no one's going to be talking like this. It's kind of like walking around, uh, was it His Girl Friday with Cary Grant, the way they're talking around through the whole thing like that. And it's like, okay, just slow down. Here, here, decaf. You know, just (laughs) calm them down a little bit. 
Well, but, that's uh, true. That's I, true. It's funny that you mentioned that because uh, my troupe has cre- recreated many old time radio shows, and my hour long recreations are generally longer than an hour, and that may or may not include the uh, the commercials because we speak slower. We speak more slowly than they did on 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 the radio, and our half hour shows are like. 35, 40 minutes. So, yeah, and I think uh, they they benefit from the slower speech in a way. <laughs> but it's funny. I never I never thought about that because I can understand them when they're talking. It, it's certainly not hard for me to uh, decipher what they're saying. No, I mean, it's not difficult. It's just um, it's almost like the accountants were standing behind them going, okay, I see how long your script is, but you need to be done in 15 minutes. They just somebody standing there with their finger going in circles. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You know? <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I love love the, uh, the the show. Orson is as good as always. It, I mean, it starts off. Uh, I thought a little surprising right at the beginning. You know, for that era, that he's talking about getting this pet monkey, and the the monkey was scared of me, and so I. I, re- I tried to calm down the monkey, and he finally came over, and he f- ate from my hand, and then I stabbed him and killed him. You know? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Like, oh, okay, going, cutting right to the chase there. Yeah, I wrote that in my notes as well. I was going to mention that, but you, uh, I'm glad you did, because that upset me, uh, the way it was presented. Not the fact that, you know, an, an imaginary monkey died, but the way it was presented was very moving and a little upsetting, and I've listened to this many times, and it never really grabbed me that way before because you're, the monkey had developed a trust in Dr. Corey. That's Wells' role. And then as soon as he had laid his head on his shoulder, he stabbed him, like you said. And that's to me, that's one of the great things about these uh, classic radio shows. With the really good ones, you discover something new with repeated listenings because, like I said, that has never touched me that same way as it did when I heard it, uh, the most recent listen. And it gives you a good insight into the person's personality. You know, it's like, okay, you know, here's this monkey. And I'm, you know, after you spend the time to get it to calm down and like you and come up to you and all that, they just go, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it tells you a lot about the person too. (laughs) Well, he just the act of it. It was all about science for him, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in the name of science, he's willing to deceive a lesser creature than himself. <laughs> I, I, like I said, good show and everything. The one thing I did, I did get a kick out of. Now you didn't hear it much. I'm now I'm I'm, I'm kind of blanking out. Was he alive at all when they when he showed up? Uh, uh, the the bad guy. I don't know. You want to even call him the bad guy? The Donovan. Guys? Yeah, Donovan yeah. was still alive, but but dying. He was very okay. close to death. Probably because he, he was dying. Because but, we heard him say the sure, sure, sure before he died. But I mean, for this guy, he's being you know he's so big and powerful of a, a, a businessman and everything. You would expect him to not to sound so much like a rough housing kind of leg buster. He sounds a little like Bluto, I think, from the Popeye cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> He sounds like Bluto from the Popeye cartoons. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sure, sure, sure. How about a kiss, Olive? Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, but it was. Uh, I, I thought he seemed a little bit too gruff. I thought I, I wanted him to. 
I thought he would come across a little bit more as a little more polished businessman sounding, you know, but still there would be, you know, something there to show you his soul, kind of like the killing the monkey bit did with the doctor that, you know, he might sound, oh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Mr. Donovan and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, but, and maybe just before he died, as he's falling asleep, you go get the sure, 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 you know, just to show you that that's underneath there. Yeah, well, that's, oh, oh, I get you. Yeah, like some sort of change. You know, and again, like, but like you said, it was really fast. They couldn't, uh, that's true. They couldn't spend the time on establishing him. Uh, and I, I think mainly because Wells played both Corey and, Donovan, there had to be a definite change in the voice. I mean, here he starts out, he sounds like James Mason when he's playing the doctor, you know. And I went and I did this thing, you know, and once once the little monkey had trusted me, I I I stabbed him and removed his brain. Yes, it was wonderful. <laughs> so so he he dealt with crackers. He has to be. He's all James Mason at, as Doctor Corey, and then he has to be a completely different, so that there's that definite yeah. uh, difference in the voices. Exactly. I, I think. And and to me, it, because I listened to it so many years ago, uh, it worked for me. Not because I was thinking about how Donovan should sound as a rich businessman, but how it was re- represented a powerful personality. Right. And and so that's how Donovan, the brain, was able to take over the personality of the less powerful Corey. Follow me on that one? That's 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 the way I see it. So it works for me, although, you know, in a modern telling, it would probably be better if two different people did it so that there wouldn't have to be that uh, great difference in the uh, in the presentation. Like if you were Dr. Corey and I was Donovan in a recreation, then we wouldn't have to we wouldn't have to go sure, 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 sure. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you guys about the uh the sound effects and the sounds that were in the laboratory throughout the episodes. Yeah. Um I loved them, but I, I think it it's it's something that I could easily see other people finding corny. And I and a few years ago, I watched the Donovan's Brain movie. I don't know if you guys ever saw it, but it's it's not very good. And uh, <laughs> and I don't think there are many people out there that champion the uh, the movie adaptation of this. But um, but yeah, just just the uh, just the constant sound of the if the brain waves um kind of making noise in the laboratory and all that. I think it's just um reinforces the idea that like this is the this is the kind of story that can only that really only works on radio. I think if um if you show something as as weird as like a brain in a pan, I think people are going to have a, uh, a less than flattering uh, reaction to that, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> I think if, if you're just, if you're making it up in your mind's eye, I think this story really works well. And I really like the, uh, the sound effects throughout this. I like the fact that he can tell if the, the brain is angry or content based on uh, the frequency of <laughs> the, um, of the noises that are, you know, resounding throughout the, throughout the lab. Yeah, I don't know if you guys did. You guys feel the same way, or did you think that the the sound effects kind of took away from the uh, the strength of the dialogue and all that? Oh, not at all. I think the uh, the the uh, well, well. Let me tell you. Uh, back in the '90s, I found a copy of the book and I read it, um, okay. and I realized that there were liberties taken with the radio adaptations. I think they were necessary in, in certain areas. They had to be able to demonstrate the brain waves 
So they hooked up a speaker to the oscillator. And so you're hearing that, you know, and um, and I think that worked. It worked really well because first you have the monkey brains and they saying uh, the monkey's brain and it's uh, alpha waves. And it's just like very, very low, you know, <laughs> and then Donovan comes in and he's got a strong personality and a, a powerful brain. And you hear and they say it's delta waves. And so um, as as it gets as he gets stronger in whatever fluid he's uh, in, the sounds get more powerful as well. And I think that I agree with you. It worked. It worked really well. And um, not only that. The shtick, uh, the sure, 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 and Donovan's voice, to me, that immediately announced to uh, the listener that something twisted is going to happen. Mm-hmm. As soon as he converts to, as as he converts to Donovan and starts speaking in his voice, you know, something evil is about to transpire. Um, now that was was not in the book that that way of speaking, and so it was completely created so that Donovan could be a more physical character. Mm-hmm. And I and to me that it, it worked and and I call that in my notes I say that's genius script craft because they had to find something that wasn't in the book to establish Donovan as a more potent uh character even though he was dead and I think that worked really well. Yeah. How about you Paul? What what do you think of the uh the only thing I will say about the sound effects is that you know as a <laughs> you guys grew up doing you know a, a lot of the same things i i don't know if i focused on it more or what but i was always into listening to you know music and the way things were recorded and how well they were recorded in that and so i listened to those sound effects and the sound effects just kind of fit to where they're supposed to. i mean for the time and everything they fit but I, all i could think of was more from an engineering point like those are a bit loud. I would turn the gain down on those a little. They're a little overpowering and drunk because I can barely hear what he's saying. But other than that, I mean, they fit what they were supposed to do exactly. I mean, I thought they were, you know, a good choice for the effects. I'm sure they don't have a whole buttload of choices back in those days for your electronics uh, sound effects. Right. You know, they didn't have like open our sound effects closet or something. You know, was, <laughs> you know, we want the electronics. Oh, that's this thing and that's about it you know so they work and if, well and, and if a tube blows out you're out of luck <laughs> exactly well i guess we'll record next week yeah but, uh, yeah so i mean that was the only problem i have with the sound effects i thought at some points they were getting too loud and overpowering to where you couldn't hear the dialogue so much yeah Other yeah and that, was, they were fine in general i'm i'm kind of a fan of less is more when it comes to radio and so i'm I'm normally not personally very interested in, in sound effects necessarily. I, th- I think if the, the dialogue is good enough, I can just kind of, my brain just kind of fills that stuff in. I don't know if most people are the same way or not, but that's kind of how I've always um, listened to radio shows. But for, with, with this particular episode, I, I guess that's the, the exception for me because uh, to me, it just, it made me think that the, uh, the laboratory is like very cramped and it's, it's really loud and overwhelming like that because there's nowhere for the sound to go. And I don't know if that was the intent of the writers, but to me, it just uh, it makes the story that much better because it just uh, it gives it a sense that, you know, the brain is really angry or upset, you know, yeah. in a moment. and uh, I think it just makes the uh, the tension that much more palpable. So. And, you know, it was happening at the same time as the dialogue because they raised their voices 
and they are getting all excited oh, yeah. and, and, and yelling almost to, to be heard over the sound of that uh, oscillator. So um, it was it was not the sort of thing where it's pre-recorded with the voices and then the sound effects added later. It was happening in real time. You could you could tell by that. I guess there's a parallel, a more modern day parallel. When I first started making audio drama, I was not a fan of the hard work it would take to be the sound engineer. So I did very little in the way of, of sound effects. But as I got more into it, I continued to uh, progress and to learn. I was more um, uh, willing to add the sound effects and, and to create them and to create a soundscape so that even if it was subtle, a crowd, you know, it's not a really loud crowd, but they're there, you know, and, um, and, and so on. But one of the things I did, um, what I'm getting to here, <laughs> eventually I'm getting to, is that in a play that I wrote called The DNA Pit, um, that was a sort of a scientist with his in invention gone awry and uh, a rich person wants to uh, steal it from the scientist and, and use it to make... Um, a mindless army that will take over the world. But um, <laughs> there's a, a big scene with a computer and I have the dialogue saying, well, take a look at the computer screen here and you can see what's going on. But whenever something happens, you hear a chime and then a woman's voice saying transformation sequence complete. And that way, you know, it's there. You're immediately informed by the, uh, by the action, by the dialogue instead of uh, having it, um, somebody standing at the computer screen saying, hmm, it looks like the transformation sequence is complete. So there are certain things that are necessary, I think. And, and uh, a listener, if it's done well, a listener will accept it as something that just moves the story along. So I had a computer voice saying, transformation sequence complete, and so on. Yeah, like that. And which is similar to the oscillator, but uh, a more modern... Uh, parallel. Anyway, <laughs> I didn't mean to go on and on and on like that, but uh... and that was the abridged version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you just heard is after I edited out five minutes of gobbledygook. <laughs> but for me, this was a lot of fun to listen to again after so long. Listeners, this was a two-part thing. The edit that you heard takes out the opening of the second episode, and I took out the commercials as well. And that was just for time, so that you didn't have to listen to a full hour of the repeats of the commercials and so on. So I hope you don't mind. If you want to hear what it's like, it's available on YouTube. It's available on archive.org. So go on out there and, and do that thing. We also didn't want to give free advertising to Roma Wines, right? Uh, <laughs> I don't even know oh, if it exists I anymore. I, I think I might have to because, you know, that's some good wine. I, I looked into it a while ago. It's not around anymore. Okay. That's R-O-M-A. <laughs> Roma Wines. I mean, I really wanted to have I, – because I, I bought the collection of Suspense. And after listening to enough episodes, I was really kind of jonesing for a bottle of Roma wine to see if it was any good. I love I love having a bottle of Roma wine right next to a, a bowl of uh, uh, Autolite spark plugs. <laughs> exactly. So delicious. <laughs> I used to tease. We had a woman at work. Her name was Roma. And I used oh. to tease her all the time with that Roma wine. <laughs> you would walk in and say, R-O-M-A. <laughs> And she go, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> well, 
on that note, have, do you guys say sure, sure, sure to your uh, friends and loved ones? Well, sometimes I'll, I'll just, so my wife will say, you want to, uh, will you do something for me? And I'll, I'll break into uh, uh sure, sure, sure. And she'll, yeah. She, I mean, after so many years of marriage, she doesn't even look at me funny anymore. She just let yeah. it go. <laughs> yeah, just continues on with what she was going to ask you. Yeah. It's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Not worth it, kids. <laughs> not worth it. Just move along. Nothing to see here. Nothing move along. Here. Move along. Are <laughs> <sighs> we ready to vote? I think so. Okay. Okay. Let's vote. What are we voting on, dear listener? As a reminder, we're voting on one. Whether this particular episode is a true representative installment of the overall series, and B, whether or not it is a standalone show that belongs in every Radio Aficionado's collection. And again, Pete, this was your selection, so you go first. Well, I give it a thumbs up for both of those categories. Suspense was fantastic. It's a wonderful series. They um, made a point of bringing in famous actors to play these everyday people. It worked. Donovan's brain is exciting. It's got some sci-fi elements. It's got some thriller elements. It's got uh, good versus evil, uh, uh, religion versus science, because you had that other doctor, you know, he was urging him to not act like, not, not act like God and so on. There's the ending where uh, evil is is overcome. He describes it himself. He says, once I, once I killed my son, the spell on me was broken. I was able to kill Donovan and so on. Then you hear the crash. You know, you hear the crash of the glass. And then you hear the body fall. And, and, and that was really something for 1940s radio. It wasn't narrated. It was, you heard the crash, and then you heard the body fall, and it was up to you to decide what just happened, which was great. And then the news, of course, the newscaster came in and said that Donovan and his son were both found dead. But overall, it was well-paced, in my opinion. We already talked about the sound effects that were really good. The story was good. Um, the things they had to do to um, make it move along, very clever. So yes, um, I do believe it's uh, representative of uh, suspense overall, and it's definitely a standalone show. And, and I think it's been proven that it's a standalone show by uh, most of us in this room, because uh, Dave still has it on, on LP, and Paul has it on, uh, what do you have it on, CDs or cassettes? Uh, there's uh, MP3s on CD, so they okay. can fit a whole buttload on there. Oh, nice! And then I have I had cassette back in the day. So um, for me, it's a, a yes for both of those categories. How about you, Paul? I will have to give it a yes in both categories, also, because yeah, I mean, what can I say? This is this is one of those things that reminds me of music in a way. Uh, my first concert I ever saw was kiss how the hell do you follow that up after that it's just like four guys standing on a stage well the first thing i really listened to in depth was suspense and it's so well done that when you start moving on to some other things you're like oh oh that, that really wasn't that good it sure ain't suspense <laughs> you know? is it yeah it's like a, 
you go back to listening to suspense because you know the rest of it's kind of oh, that's really kind of hokey or something yeah. so it just it it kind of spoiled me to the other stuff you know starting off there you know but it was it, it's an excellent series i i love suspense it's just so good and this one it's you know kind of unlike the cream of the crop for suspense you know and you can get orson in there to do a two-parter oh yeah i mean it's yeah. it hits all the buttons good so for me um I have to give kind of a complicated answer to the is it representative of suspense question, because I, I think it is representative in the sense that it's good and that it, it holds up and that people are still enjoying it today. But I, it's, I think it's also a little bit more complicated, though, because I think it's hard to say what represents the average suspense episode. There's not a lot of suspense that, that delves into um, science fiction and horror like this. So I think in that regard, it's, it's not necessarily representative, but that's not I don't that's not a bad thing. It's just that I think suspense usually was more rooted in like less fantastic stories, if that makes sense. As far as my own preferences, I, I think this belongs in any fan of old time radios collection. I had it in my collection when I was just a young boy and I listening to it as an adult just takes me back to those days when, you know, you couldn't just bring up the Internet and listen to anything you wanted at any time. You kind of had to live off of what you had access to, which meant physical copies, you know, tapes or CDs or records and I must have listened to this as a kid, you know, at least a dozen times because, you know, once you've listened to everything else, you kind of just uh, start to cycle back through whatever, you know, whatever else you have on tape or CD or what have you. So, so yeah, this is, um, this is an absolute classic for me. I think it's a, uh, it's a great example of Wells' uh, radio acting. I think the rest of the cast does a great job. I like the sound effects and I like the fact that it's uh, a rare two-parter. I don't know how many other two-part episodes Suspense did, but um, I think it's exciting in that regard, just the the fact that you get a, a little bit of breathing room with this story. They have time to kind of spread it out, and it doesn't feel like there's a wasted moment, even though it's a two-parter. It feels like they took the time they needed to adapt the novel and, and did a great job of it. So they, they could, It's like they could only compress the story so far. Yeah. Sure. If they yeah, tried yeah, making yeah. it any shorter, it would have been lacking. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I, I, I agree. They, they probably just found the best parts and put it together and uh, made whatever changes they needed. Uh, I was going to mention with cassettes, because um, <laughs> you mentioned that uh, life was so hard in the 80s because you had to rewind all the time. <laughs> so much rewind. time and battery power was spent on rewinding those cassettes, <laughs> especially if the show on the other side you didn't really want to listen to. Uh, as much as side A, you know, side A was better than side B. So you didn't always listen to side B. You rewound it and listened to side A again. That's, how, no, it was really that's the way I was. I, I remember a lot of the times they'd put three episodes on a tape. It'd be like one episode, then the first half of the second at the end of side one. Right, right. Half. So like if you wanted to listen to that one in the middle, that could be kind of a pain in the ass. To have oh, to son, you probably never listened to eight track tapes then, did uh, you? That's before you my can't dad. rewind those guys. <laughs> no, but those are... I had I had several albums that when I I finally got the vinyl because I had like the eight track first, it took me decades just about <laughs> to hear the song all the way through in my head because I got so used to hearing the song start, go in for about a minute and a half, then fade out, click, fade back up. It's like <laughs> I'd be listening to it and in my head you just hear the thing fading out. It's like I haven't heard it like that in 30 years, but I could still hear that eight track fading out and fading back in. I know your brain plays a trick on you. And I had a, a, a I recorded some, some LPs on the cassette 
And there was one song, it was uh, Mona Lisa by Nat King Cole. And so at some point, the record skipped. Mm. So I, and I had it on tape that way. I had to keep it because it, I could never get it to unskip. So then I got a much better uh, uh, turntable in my adulthood and I'm listening to it again and it didn't skip, but my mind says, oh, this is the place where that skipped. That's what yeah. that part sounds like. <laughs> I had uh, I had a group uh, called Angel. They were like the flip side of Kiss. They were they all dressed in white and that and did more like prog rock. And one of their starts off with almost like an uh, an air raid siren. Well, mine. I mean, I took care of my vinyl, and right out of the sleeve, this thing was skipping. And it's oh. so then they finally came out on CD, and I listened to. Oh wow. Oh, that's what it's supposed to sound like. <laughs> you know, just like you said, <laughs> I didn't realize. Interest. Yeah. Well, good. So it seems. Uh, I guess uh, back to the show. <laughs> shall, shall I continue us on? Please, Paul. Take us where we need to go. Okay, great. This brings us to the end of episode fourteen of Old Time Radio Essentials with Dave Feldman, Pete Lutz, and me, Paul RBC. Next time, the cycle comes around to me. And does anybody want to know what my selection is? Huh? What? Did you say something? Uh, <laughs> fine, then. I won't tell you. Ah, come on. I was only kidding. Please tell us, Paul. Please. Oh, okay. You talked me into it. Next month, I'll be bringing you an episode of the Shadow. <gasps> Which one? Uh, you asked for it, so there you go. The Shadow. It is going to be... Where to go? Where to go? I had it right here. Uh, it's going to be from 1946, uh, November 24th. The Gang Doctor. Oh. I don't think I've ever always, heard that always one. I always liked The Shadow, and then just listening to Donovan's brain kind of got me in the mood for The Shadow with Orson Welles. And truthfully, I already forgot. <laughs> I can't remember if this is an Orson Welles one or not. If it's 1946, no, because Orson yeah. only did it for the he year was, uh, 37, 38. Yeah, I thought he was only at the beginning. I'm yeah. pretty sure, but I wasn't 100% sure. 47 but, is probably Brett Morrison. Yeah, I think so. But sounds like an excellent choice, Paul. So that's next month on Old Time Radio Essentials. David, Paul, tell the masses what they need to know. Old Time Radio Essentials is a production of 63 Audio, a proud member of the Mutual Audio Network. Find us at www.mutualaudionetwork.com or www.naradaradio.lipson.com on iTunes under Mutual Audio Network. And or Narada Radio Company, and on any podcatcher you may happen to use. Like us on Facebook at Mutual Audio Fans and at Narada Radio Company Fans and Friends. On Twitter at Essentials Old. If you want to suggest a future episode, write us at f6.3 at gmail.com. That's the letter F, the number six, the word point, and the number three at gmail.com. Put the word Essentials in the subject line. Now, at the time we're recording this episode, our pandemic special hasn't yet gone out. <laughs> so I hope you all enjoyed that and will write in and let us know what you thought of it or any of our episodes, really. You okay? Sorry. Are you coming down with something? 
Dave, I... did you give him a glass of water from the tap? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Shit. Sorry, sorry, Paul. Well, we got to get Paul out of here. At least it ain't the Rona. Uh... <laughs> I think it's worse. So, <laughs> you think? Anyway, we're always happy to hear from our listeners, so please do send us feedback and more suggestions. And if you didn't catch our email when Dave spelled it out, look for it in the show notes. And that's it for now, friends. Join us next time for another fun installment of, well, we hope it's fun. Eventually, we hope that these episodes will be fun. So for another fun installment of Old Time Radio Essentials. Bye-bye for now. Later. Toodles, everybody. Be safe. Be smart. But still have fun. Wash your hands. Especially you, Paul. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. <laughs>